Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. Jeff Frisch is such a good guy that when his son travels all the way from Indiana to preach, he doesn't come to church that day. <laughs> such a good guy, right? Now, he was upset when I... Uh, agreed to, to be here this morning. He had already signed up to do this special detail up north. To whatever, so he, uh, if he could have got out of it, I know he, he said he, he would have. I, 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 I don't know what I'm doing up here right now. I, I think we could, we could close this, this service up uh, and just let what Nate said and, and did be the message today. It's only downhill from here. Like, that was, that was the, the peak of the service. That's what this is all about. Uh, I remember, uh, I remember Nate when this room used to be full of cardboard boxes. We would do the biggest cardboard box maze you've ever seen in your life. But the problem is, a lot of times, inside a room like this and cardboard boxes, it gets really, really hot. And Nate, with his ability and skill set, said, "I could." I could cool that sucker down real quick. And so he spent the entire week building a cardboard uh, cooling air duct system to go all throughout the entire cardboard maze uh, to the extent that it was like you had to wear a hoodie and, and sweatpants to go through the thing. It was so, it was so cold, but I'll never forget that, man. Uh, thanks. I know. I know, yeah, man. Well, I'm telling you right now, that today is the good old day. You're going to look back, many of us are, as today is the good old days. Uh, thanks for just your, your honesty and your openness and your vulnerability there. Uh, that, that wasn't easy for you. We know that. And uh, I can speak, even though I don't know most of the people in here, I can speak on behalf of the room and say thank you for, for what you did and what you said. Um, I hope and I pray that God is Australian, uh, and we hear a good old, come on in, mate, you know, when we get to heaven someday, that would just be like the greatest surprise ever, um, but uh, it is, I say this every time I'm here, this is selfishly uh, just so good for my soul. This is, this is home for me. There's so many people here that just make up the uh, stories from my, my childhood. I spent so much time in, in many of your homes and, and helping you, some of you lift pianos and uh, I mean on and on and on. Uh, this is just selfishly just so uh, refreshing uh, for me. It's fun that my, my girls get to be here, uh, two-thirds of my kids, and just kind of see where, you know, where I grew up and, and come to church and, and here and things like that. So I, I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, again, I, I don't know why I'm up here. I think we could have rearranged this whole service to I could have just stayed home, and Nate could have said, let's pray and go home, and everybody would have been completely fine with that. But, uh, but here we are. So since I'm here, I might as well just talk for for a few minutes. Um, uh, a little bit about me. I, I love greatness. I love individuals who accomplish great things. 
whether they are real life stories of some heroic person and doing something incredible, uh, whether it's a, a, an inspired by true events movie, uh, whether it, a lot of times for me those are like sports movies, uh, but they don't even have to be inspired by true events. I just love a good old fashioned uh, Captain America movie where one person does this incredible thing. I'm captivated at those types of, of stories. Uh, the same is true when it comes to God's story. When it comes to God's word, for me, I, I look in, I look at the, the, the Davids and Moseses and, and Abrahams and, and Josephs and Pauls. Uh, Paul's the guy we're going to look at here in just a, a few minutes. I, I love just individuals who accomplish great things. Uh, but there's a, a problem when it comes to that for me, and, and, and maybe some of you would, would fall into this category as well. Uh, a, a lot of times we, we focus so much on these legends of our faith, I'll, I'll call them, uh, and, and, and we, we think that God working through us and God uh, creating a, a life of purpose and meaning uh, for us, in us, through us, and around us, it looks like the Pauls, Davids, Abrahams, Josephs, uh, but the problem with that thinking, the problem with only focusing in on the legends of our faith is most of us, uh, and I'll only say most of us, I won't say all of us, just because I don't know you all that well, and many of you don't know me well, and so I don't want to crush any of your dreams, uh, but most of us aren't going to be called to lead nations out of exile. Most of us aren't going to have our writings preserved for thousands of years so that people uh, thousands of years from now can continue reading of God's story. Most of us aren't going to fall into that category. Most of us aren't going to part large bodies of water so an escape can happen of God's people. Most of us, maybe, maybe someone in here is, is headed down that path of destiny here, but most of us aren't going to fall into that category. So that's a problem because when I think about this life of meaning and purpose and fulfillment, but I compare myself to some of those legends, ironically enough, it leads me to a place of disappointment, discouragement, frustration. Because look at God did through these individuals and, and what's happening in, in my life, you know, uh, my day-to-day my -day life, what's that look like? I'm certainly not doing these incredible things. And so that becomes a problem. Trying to live a life of purpose on behalf of God is leading to frustration, even bitterness, discouragement. Uh, that's a problem. But the good news is, and this is where today in our brief time together, I'd like to start shifting our focus to think through a, a specific lens as we look at God's word. Uh, the good news is that when we look at God's word, when we look at God's story, there are around 3,000 people that are mentioned uh, by, uh, by, by name in some way, shape, or form in God's story. Uh, the number of these individuals uh, are, are mentioned by name only of the 3,000. The, meaning the Bible doesn't supply enough information on them. Uh, the Bible doesn't uh, explain who they are to the extent that we can connect them to a different part in God's story, to a different passage. It's literally just by name only, and that's all we know about these individuals. Uh, the number of individuals mentioned throughout God's word where we actually find enough information that we can identify them specifically of the few thousand that are, that are mentioned by name 
is uh, or maybe around 300. And sometimes that's just a name and, and, a, and a, a town they're from. We have just a little bit of information there. And so when we, when we get down to it, the, the number of legends that we are, we're talking about here, looking at, are, are literally just a handful of, of people that I find myself kind of comparing my, 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 my life to and thinking, you know, is God using me or, or working through me? Is this a life of purpose? Because I look at Paul, I look at David, I look at these guys. But the truth is, as we are going to look at here in a moment, God is not in the business of uh, using legends to accomplish his work here on planet Earth. Uh, it's a, a thought that I'd really like for you to, if you could, kind of push everything out of your mind at the moment and just kind of set up camp here in this, this thought. Uh, this idea that there are uh, literally thousands of, of unnamed individuals in God's Word. Thousands upon thousands of unnamed individuals. A few thousand, we get, we get a name. Of, of them, there's a few hundred where we, we, we start to know a little bit about them. But those that are unnamed, those that are behind the scenes, those that, that you, you, you read over and, and just keep going without giving a second thought to, those that are behind the scenes in what you are reading, those that, that aren't even on the page itself, but you know they're there, are thousands upon thousands upon thousands. So the truth is, these legends, as great as they are, are absolutely in the minority when we look at God's story, when we look at God's word. And so today, uh, those of you that have a, a smartphone, here's what we're basically going to do is we're just going to kind of zoom in. You know, you pinch your fingers and you zoom in on your phone and we're just going to zoom in into God's word and we're going we're to get to a guy named Paul. But we're not going to stop there. We're going to keep zooming in four, five, six times and, and really understand and see what's going on behind the story here. Because what we're going to find isn't a story full of legends, but full of people like you and people like me, people that we have a lot in common with. And so we're going to zoom past all of those legends and dive into Paul's story here. And it's actually quite fun uh, to, to do this. Uh, may, you know, you're thinking, I, our definitions of fun are a little bit different. But uh, I, I promise you, if you, if you look into uh, God's Word with this thought process, this filter, uh, it, things are going to start jumping out to you like they never have before. You're going to start to think, okay, well, that's true, but how, how did that person even get there? Or how did that family even, like, establish themselves in this area? How are they there in the first place? This random person here at this, at this well, at this thing, you're going to start really thinking through uh, God's word, through this, this, this lens, and it's, it really is, is quite a fun way to look at God's word because what you see is it's just it's a bunch of you and it's a bunch of me, which is maybe scary for a lot of us, maybe like, I don't know, but uh, it, it is, it's fascinating to think that this is how God works. This is how God operates, how he orchestrates his story. And so I'd like to spend the, the rest of our time together here uh, doing that just with one story. Just with, it's about 17 verses, and I'll read several of them together, and we'll go real, real quick through this. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9, uh, but I just want to look at this filter uh, look at this passage through this filter that I'm talking about. 
to see who it is that God's using and how it is he's using them. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about this guy named Paul. And just to catch all of us up quickly, uh, if you're unfamiliar with him, uh, his name is Saul in this story. His name will eventually get na- changed to Paul. Uh, he is uh, noticed by the uh, political military leaders of his day as somebody who is intelligent, who's driven, he's ambitious, and he's fiercely loyal. His status eventually is elevated by the chief priests, and they start placing Saul on the front row of the trials and persecutions and executions of the uh, so-called these followers of Jesus during their time. Paul has a front row seat, literally holding the coats of those that are that are killing Christians at this at this time. Uh, Over time, a burning rage builds up within Saul. This is all he sees. This is all he knows. And, and he, his hatred for followers of Jesus grows and it grows and it grows to the point where he decides, I myself, I'm going to put a stop to this movement, even if it means I have to kill all of them with my bare hands. And he begins this journey. He sets out his mission on life is to kill anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. And eventually he's given legal documents that allow him to go around saying the, the government supports any uh, arrest, capture, killing of anyone who claims man or woman to follow Jesus. We read in the book of Acts that Saul did just that. Luke writes that Saul was ravaging the church. People were literally walking around in, in fear of this Man, because he was tormenting them and he was killing them and he was ripping families apart and he was doing everything he could to end this movement. Over time, uh, that rage built and, and built and he left uh, the area that he was in. It's no longer safe. A lot of people scattered. They fled. They went to towns next door where, where Paul wasn't there, but it, eventually word spread that he was traveling from town to town, even door to door, and you didn't know when he was going to show up, if he was going to show up, uh, but when he showed up for a lot, it was already too late. You can imagine the, the fear that these people were living in. And so now we're caught up. In Acts 9, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was very eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation and the arrest of any follower of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then in verse 5, he says, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I love the, the, the wording and the phrasing of that question because Saul knew immediately who he was encountering here. This infamous, fearless murderer. He had the the backing of all power and and money and resources that this world had to offer. And he knew for someone to immediately cause him to drop to his knees so effortlessly could only mean one thing. And so he says, who are you, Lord? 
And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Jesus says, I'm the one you're persecuting. You think you're persecuting my followers, but I'm telling you, it's me. He steps in and he says, hey, you mess with them, you mess with me. This is a comforting thought here as followers of Jesus. This ought to be a, a comforting thought to you and, and to me. He says, make no mistake, you're, you're not persecuting them. You're, you're messing with me here, and it's time for that to stop. Based on this current situation you find yourself in, I, I think you understand that you don't want to mess with, with me. So the men with Saul stood speechless. It says they uh, heard a sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. In verse 10, it says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Notice the, the ordinariness of this situation. Ananias in, is me, and, and he's you. He's just going about his everyday life. He's at home. He's hanging out. He's doing his, his chores. He's, he's watching TV. He's mowing the yard. He's whatever he's doing, just a normal day. God says, Ananias. He says, yes, Lord. Notice that reply. As in, I'm I'm ready. Whatever you need, I, I'm, I'm here. Let's go. You ever get a phone call or a text or, or someone ever approach you and they start out that conversation by saying, hey, what do you have going on later on? I hate with a, a passion when that is how someone addresses me, when that's the first line sentence out of their mouth. Hey, what do you have going on later? Hey, what are you doing about six o'clock? Listen, I like... Start with the, the what. Let me, let me have an excuse that I can, ah, oh, no, I got this thing. But I don't know if you have 50-yard you know, tickets to a Buckeyes game. Uh, I don't know, you know if you want to invite us over for dinner, or I don't know if you have a piano from the third story of your house with small stairwells that needs to go into your basement. I want to know beforehand if I can say yes to this or not. And so let's appreciate for a moment Ananias' response here. Yes, Lord, let's go. What, whatever I had planned, if you need me, like that's, that's immediately, those plans are canceled. Let's go, let's do this. What do you need from me? Yes, Lord, he replied. Uh, verse 11, the Lord said, go to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. He says, he's praying to me right now. You ever get a phone call? And it's like, whew, this is gonna be, this is gonna be a while. He's put on speaker and you just let him talk. You just let him go. And then you find yourself in like a moment of silence where it's like, oh, whew, I think I'm, maybe they're waiting on a response, a reply, I don't know. So you try to think of like a generic uh, response or like uh, you can always say like, hey, I lost you there for a second. What was the last thing you said or something like the, the service is bad. But we serve a God who can just multitask with the best of them. 
I would never do that, Mom. I know you're whispering. <laughs> never, ever. When you call me every day, I never do that. He said, he's, he's pray- literally, he's praying to me right now. He hears a, a prayer and is immediately at work. Ananias, I, 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 I literally, have, I've got a guy on the other line right now praying to me. He has no idea that I'm, I'm, I'm so far ahead of what he's about to ask. He has no idea. No idea that I'm, I'm, I'm sending the, the lifeguard, right? I, I hear your prayer, Nate, he says, but I, I've got these guys coming. I've got an angel on his way there. Angel, hey, I've got a guy, Nate, on the other line right now. He doesn't even know I'm, I'm so far ahead of what he's needing I need you to go. It's time. Let's do this. Ananias, I've got a guy on the other line. He's praying to me literally right now. I need you to go. I need you to go do this thing. Go to Straight Street, to this house. Do this thing. I'm at work here. Some stuff is happening. Some stuff is is going on. I need you to go. But Lord exclaimed Ananias, verse 13. I've heard so many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. How quickly we go from a yes, Lord, to a but, Lord. Whatever you need, wherever you, you know, where you send, I'll go. Where you lead, I'll lead. Whatever you need, God, whatever you... Then when the ask doesn't fit our schedule or like what we want it to be or how we want it to go down, or it's like, well, God, hold on. Like, but, I mean, I don't think it has to be this, like, can it be over here? Can we try this in, instead? Like, all, he went so quickly from, hey, my plans, they're canceled, right? I'm in my calendar app, just deleted it. I just sent him a text letting, letting him know, I'm not coming. What do you need? Okay, I need this. Okay, well, time out. He begins giving God Saul's resume, just in case he hasn't been handed the most like, up-to-date briefing on Saul, uh, on, on what's happening. He's starting to kind of come around like, oh gosh, I don't know, like, how blind are we talking here? Like, squint to read or like dog in a cane? Like, what's going to happen here when I find this, this man? Verse 15, but the Lord said, go, go. Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. God says, listen, you done, bro? Are you done? Like, you got it all out of your system. You said all the things you needed to say. Okay, awesome. There's the door. Saul is my chosen instrument. I've got so many things planned for this man. I need you to go. I, uh, I, I, I just imagine God like, I am so excited. Finally, here we are in this moment. I'm so excited to introduce the world to this man because he's been on this long journey. All the things that you would think would disqualify him from, from being used by God, God says, oh no, it only sets the, the stage for me to show off in a way that this world isn't even ready for. In fact, what we're going to see in a moment is, is they literally weren't ready for it, and they, they literally did not accept him right away. 
God says, man, I'm ready for the world to see this, and I need you to go to Straight Street. There's the door. So Ananias went and found Saul, verse 17. He laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up, and he was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food, and he regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. I love that last part. Notice Saul's faithfulness here. He didn't say, okay, listen, I'm going to pray for you, and then I need you to just don't turn around. I need you to count to five and give me time to just get up out of here so you don't see my face. I don't even know for sure if you're going to start killing everyone in sight. I don't know how this is going to go down. No, it says he stayed. He didn't rush back to his comfort. He didn't, you know, he wasn't thinking about this show he had to finish. It was pause, whatever, the yard needs mode. Nope. All those things are insignificant in the grand scheme of things. He said, those, those don't matter. I'm staying here, and I'm, I'm living life with this person here uh, for a few days. It says, verse 20, Immediately Saul began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine Saul showing up and the scatter, the panic, everybody freaking out. And he doesn't chase after them. In fact, he starts preaching the name of Jesus to these people. He says, he is indeed the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? Didn't he come here to arrest them and to take them into chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proof that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem... He tried uh, to, to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. He's like, no, guys, really, let me in. It's cool. You know, they're like, yep, not, you know, it's like the big bad wolf story. Like, uh, you know, let me in. Uh, they did not believe that he had truly become a believer. In verse 27, then Barnabas brought him to the apostles, told them how Saul had seen the Lord on his way to, on his way to Damascus, and the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. And then later on in in, in chapter 22, uh, I just want to read this really quick, because Paul is talking about this story, this whole thing. Paul summarizes it in just a couple of of paragraphs here. He says uh, in in 22.11, I was blinded by the intense light. I had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well-regarded by all the Jews in Damascus. He came and he stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. He then told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteousness one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. Ananias, in his normal, everyday faithfulness and obedience, is forever attached to the story of Paul. 
Paul, who after his interaction with Ananias, went on three missionary journeys uh, throughout the, the entire Roman Empire. He planted churches. He preached the gospel. He, he gave strength and encouragement to early Christians. He's credited with, uh, as the author of, of half of our New Testament. I mean, this man went on to do incredible things. And as a, a, a quick review here, because I, I think I, I might have went too fast and, and maybe you missed this lens that we're trying to, to look through here. A quick review. So we have Judas. Literally all we know about this man is that he lived on Straight Street. But he opened up his home to Saul, the last person you would ever want in your home. But he allowed him to stay. Obviously we have Ananias. We have those who who warned Saul about the plot to kill him. Behind the scenes, it just says he was warned about this plot to kill him. We don't know who it was. I imagine they were risking their life by telling him. It could have been a group of people. They could have had someone kind of be lookout and kind of distract this person over here so they could get a a letter to him, a message to, to Saul. We don't know what happened. All we know is that Saul was warned that there's a group trying to kill him. We have no idea who they were. And then we, we, we hear that he was lowered down in a large basket by some other believers. That's all we know these individuals by. Some other believers, again, risking their life to lower this man down. They have no idea what Saul is going to accomplish in his life. They have no idea he's going on three mission, missionary journeys. They have no idea he's, his writings are going to be preser- preserved for thousands of years and half of our New Test- Testament. They have no idea. All they know is here's a moment, and God's calling them to just grab a rope and lower this basket down. And in that moment, their act of obedience, their act of just, it seemed insignificant at the time, ended up doing incredible things for God's story. Several lesser-known, even unknown individuals, people like you and people like me, through their everyday, ordinary, meaningless, it seems at times, and insignificant situations, it seems at times, accomplished this incredible situation for Paul. That's one story 17 verses long, and just dozens and dozens of of unknown people who are just willing to say yes in this weird situation. And now we have Paul, who was introduced to Barnabas, and the rest is is history. And so there's two takeaways that I I want you to have here as as we we end our our time together. The, the The first thing is this. We are responsible for obedience and nothing else. And this is going to be hard for some of you to, 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 to hear, to, to wrap your mind around. It's hard for me to do that. In other words, God doesn't provide the why with the what. God just says, hey, what are you doing later? Hey, I need you. Hey, here's the thing. I need you to go do it. All we are responsible for, all we are called to, uh, to do is to act faithfully in obedience. That's literally it. 
We will rarely get to see the, the story unfold. We'll rarely get to see how, how God is connecting these dots, this web of stories. We will rarely get to see the finished product. All we are responsible for is that one moment, that one thing, that one act of obedience. Where God's just nudging us, just to take that, that small step. Maybe it's uncomfortable, maybe it, whatever it is. It's, it's to pray for that random person, to, to, to send that note of encouragement, to, to start a conversation with that neighbor, whatever it is. We have no idea what's going on in the background. We have no idea that that is not the first dot that God is connecting to that individual, that there's, there's a hundred other dots. There's a whole web of individuals and in their normal day-to-day -day acts of obedience that God is linking up together and you're playing a part of this person's story. He's only called us to obedience. He's not called us to success or results. That sentence is one of the hardest sentences as I have preached that I've ever had to hear myself say. I'm preaching a lot of times, and I, and, and, and I, bottom of my heart, these are not my words. It's like, I'm, whatever God, you know, you want to say, and there are several times where I'm talking, and I go, whew, that was good. I needed, <laughs> I needed to hear that. Like, thanks, thanks for that. In this message, that, that, that line is, God has only called us to obedience, not success or results. That's difficult for me to hear because I want to succeed. I think it's okay to say, right? Like if I wanted to fail, that'd be a weird thing to say. I want to succeed. I want to see results. If I attach my name to a project, if I attach my name to leading some events at church or at the local high school uh, that I get to be a part of, I want that event to succeed, to go well. If I'm having a conversation with someone, if I'm praying with someone, if I'm talking about their life and their family, I want to see success in that story. And when I don't, that's when that frustration, confusion, Doubt, all those things, my, my good friend failure shows up and doesn't even knock at the door. He just walks straight in and sits on the couch in my living room because I want to see success. And I have to remind myself constantly that my only job as a follower of Jesus is to be obedient, it's just to say yes, to do whatever that thing is, as silly and as insignificant as it might seem, I just need to say yes. We are responsible for obedience and nothing else. The second thing is this. We are God's chosen method. I don't know why. I, I, I will, I'm confident, I will never know why. I will never understand why his number one option. It's not like he went down the list. Okay, I guess we'll just use humans, right? These things all fell through, right? We'll just use people, I guess. It was from day one. It was us. It was you, and it was me, and I will never understand it. Now, make no mistake about it. He does not need us. We do not serve a God who, serve a God who needs us. Right? He could absolutely 100% do this on his own. No issue with that. In fact, it'd be way easier for him to just do it on his own. He's chosen to use us as his primary method of reaching the lost 
of growing his kingdom, of continuing his story. Your day-to-day moments. As I wrap up here, I, I, I think I'll invite the band up. I think I'm supposed to do that um, uh, as I say these last couple of things here. Your day-to-day moments. Those weird, random, that prompt. I don't know if you've ever had like a prompt like, whew, I don't know, I feel like I should just go say hi to that person. I don't even know where that conversation is going to go. It could be a, 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 you know, in Walmart, in the aisle, crossing paths. It could be a neighbor. It could be a, who, I, you guys get it. In those moments that seem so insignificant, we could just say, nah, and nothing would change in our life, our schedule. We'd just go on doing the same thing we were doing before. It's not going to change anything. But God has chosen us as his primary method. And those insignificant, seemingly meaningless at the time, situations are how from day one he has started his story and continued his story. And every legend that we see is only a legend because behind him are hundreds and hundreds, or behind her are hundreds and hundreds of these unnamed, seemingly insignificant nobodies through hundreds of acts of obedience. A note, a conversation, whatever it is, a meal, God is connecting these dots like you could not imagine behind the scenes. This web of of stories, this web of moments are coming together. He's, He's at work in the background. You have no idea how starting that conversation is going to connect to what God's doing in that person's life. You have no clue what God's up to. It might seem insignificant, but I promise you, as we see all throughout this, if you look through his word and these stories through this lens, you'll see that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people whose stories are connecting. And who knows when that person is going to experience new life. Eventually, that last dot's going to be connected. We aren't going to see it more than likely. Thank God for those moments that we do. But you have no idea how important your day-to-day lives are. You're so valuable to God's story. Don't for one second feel like it's insignificant or meaningless because God's word tells us it is actually the exact opposite. Without people like us in the background, there is no Paul. Without Judas, without everybody behind the scenes lowering the basket, without Ananias, without, and who even knows how Ananias lives there? We're like four years after Jesus and the cross. Like this movement is spreading. How did he move here? How did he get this faith? Who was in Ananias' life that allowed him to experience Jesus and have that new life? And, and, and now that he can be this person for Paul, there's, it just goes and goes and goes. And you have no idea what you do today at lunch or tomorrow at work, or tomorrow at school, you have no idea how God's using those moments. All you have to do is be obedient. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now. Uh, I, I, again, just thank you for the opportunity that we have, as crazy as it seems, 
And as, as bizarre as it feels to be used by you, uh, I thank you that you have not just created everything and, and, and spoke the world into existence and then said, peace out, see you later. But you have chosen to, to pursue a relationship with each of us. You've chosen to use us in ways that we never dreamt imaginable. And God, I pray right now as we sing this final closing song to you, God, as we leave this building, as we go to wherever our day-to-day lives are about to take us, God, I pray that we have a, a filter, a thought process on the front of our minds that we not see people as insignificant, we not see situations or individuals as in our way, but we see them as opportunities. And that we wait and we listen for your prompts to tell us what little (laughs) seemingly insignificant thing you need us to do in that moment, God. I again thank you for Nate and his story. God, I pray that it doesn't end this morning, that that wasn't the the goal of all of that was for him to say what he said, but this is the the beginning to to launch uh, just a, a wave of people coming back to know you through Nate and his story. Thank you for Jesus, and we pray it all in his name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m., and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.